This podcast was recorded on the unceded stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. It also discusses events that occurred on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. We would like to pay our respects to the elders past and present. Welcome back to In Those Days. Now, this is a bit of a different episode because Christina Adams is not here. She is too busy and important and (laughs) she couldn't make it, but she will be back. Um, And so as a kind of replacement, we have husband of the pod or husband of half of the pod, uh, (laughs) Lincoln Turner. Absolutely, Christina, irreplaceable and (laughs) very hard act to follow, as I'm sure a lot of people going up on stage have found. (laughs) You're a physicist for your work, Lincoln. I am. Do you ever use trove at work? Have you ever... I do not think I have ever used trove for physics or for (laughs) actual work. And I was thinking on the way and I thought, when was the last time I was on trove... And I think it was when we were working out whether our very old terrace house had been a brothel or whether it was merely, <laughs> whether it was merely adjacent to a number of brothels in the, in the late 19th century. I, that was a very fun, very fun trove session. <laughs> our guest today is someone who you know. Um, quite well. <laughs> so <laughs> for forty-five years, almost exactly. Ooh. So let's introduce her. This is Lynette Turner. Good morning, Penny. And it's no coincidence that they're both Turners. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lincoln's mum. Good morning, Lincoln. Good morning, mum. <laughs> Lynette's here today to talk about a topic that related to her, very personal to her. But before we get into that, I thought I'd ask: Do you use trope <clears throat> much? Well. Not enough, in the sense that it is one of uh, David's and my great enthusiasms because of our long-term connection with the National Library, which I'm sure we can touch on later. And so I'm aware what a phenomenal success Trove has been nationally. Mm. The efforts to secure its ongoing funding, which was, of course, very tension-inducing. I have used it occasionally. I recognise that I have no skills in using it, and that's what I'd like to develop. And particularly because now that we've moved house and all the family photos and documents going back to the 1880s and 60s are in one place and await some very eager sorting and, and documentation, I know that I'll want to find out a bit more about some aspects of the family and their residences and so I'll be going to Trove and I look forward to you helping me. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to sit down and, yeah. and put yeah. it in because I, I think it's very usable. Yeah. It can be a little bit frustrating sometimes mm. but particularly if you know specific details about people, which you do, and yes. also the names are not very common, mm. then you yes. get a lot of information. So the topic that we're going to talk about today is Alison Sanchez, New yes. Bins. Would you like to tell us who she is? Alison Binns, uh, who became Alison Sanchez, is my, was my mother. She was born in 1921 and she fortunately had a long life, 92 years, and died in 2014. So fortunately, one of the happiest things is that my husband David knew her for many decades and they had a wonderful relationship and she knew both her children for decades. Uh, she met you 
Uh, yes. She unfortunately didn't meet Marion's partner, Jake, <clears throat> but she knew, and she knew the, all her grandchildren really well. And yes, she was very involved. She wasn't was, she? and she, she knew with you. And she yeah. was very, yeah, and she knew the first of her great grandchildren. Yeah, that was, was very special. Very special. So, Mum was Australian. She was born in in Armadale here in Melbourne. The third of three children, and she was both very Australian. She spent her first 24 years in Australia and then uh, through her marriage to my father, who was an American, launched into a very international life in the Northern Hemisphere. So she was a person who I think kept a very strong sense of being Australian. She never was, was never interested in changing her Australian citizenship and becoming an American, which astonished many people. Mm. But she also relished and grew with the opportunities that she had by living in other places and learning other languages and just experiencing other cultures. We mentioned her briefly in a previous episode, Mm. Space Available for Major Sanchez, which was about your father. That's right. Milton, who wrote Letters to the Editor. So if people want, they can go back and listen to that. But this episode is going to be much more focused on Alison. Yes. um, Because... Milton did have a big personality, but um, <laughs> yes, that I really want to focus on yes, Alison yes. today. Yes, well, she certainly because she had a big she personality, had a big personality <laughs> but yes, it was less controversial. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alison's parents, her father was quite a significant person. He was a Scot. He came out. He was the third of four boys. Born in Scotland in the 1880s and came out to Australia in about 1819 when he was only about eight. Uh, They lived in Sydney and his father was a very prominent congregational minister at the very famous, really very famous Redfern Congregational Church. Mm, I've looked him up. There's a lot about him as well. That and, will be a whole um, other episode. Yeah, and his... Uh, How many generations? Back? Yeah, it's, he, <laughs> it's um, good. <laughs> uh, so Ken Binns, Mum's father, uh, became a librarian. Uh, after starting his career in, in Sydney, he moved to Melbourne for work and became the assistant parliamentary librarian mm. for the country. Then in 1926, when Canberra was established... And there was the move of the public service to Canberra. Ken, my grandfather, mum's father, was responsible for moving some tens of thousands of books from the Parliamentary Library to Canberra, and it took a whole year. And there's I'm a, not surprised. That is massive. Yes, there's a wonderful picture <laughs> of him standing. I didn't know he did that. That's amazing. Yes, standing next to some trucks. And uh, this was the loading of the books to, to go to Canberra. It wasn't exactly a wonderful road up to all the way no, to Canberra in those no, days. No. It would have been yeah, and <laughs> before this, there wasn't really a town. No. Paddock, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'll just hmm. briefly mention Amy. So my mother's mother, she was the youngest of three girls, also born in Sydney and lived in Redfern. And her father died very young. He was only in his 30s, I think, of multiple sclerosis. So Amy's mother was left a youngish widow with three little girls and she ran a haberdasher's shop in in Sydney. I see so, Nan now. We'll have to do an episode on haberdashery. <laughs> and she sold, be so a trove, no wrote, doubt. Yes, wrote a, you know, sold ribbons and bows and everything. And I remember they were poor. There were no social security, you know, no safety yeah, net no, in those no. days. And my mother, Alison, told me that Amy was the prettiest of the three girls and the youngest 
And she was sent around to knock on the doors and collect the debts when people hadn't paid. And uh, so Amy and Ken came, I mean, Ken was never from a poor family, but frugal Scott and Amy came from a poor background. Mum had parents who uh, who had known hardship, and that that came through my mother's values and life as well. So they moved to Canberra when my grandfather moved the parliamentary library to Canberra. Then eventually the books <laughs> finished, and he moved there, and they all moved there in 1926 or seven. And my mother used to describe it as a city with one street with streetlights. The emerging suburbs were paddocks, and they were paddocks, big paddocks between the houses. Um, oh, that's so interesting. And she would run across the paddocks to, you know, someone else's house or to school. And it was wide open fields with a few a few places dotted in between. And then all these people leading the country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there. that's right. And, and yeah. so Alison would have been how old then? She was five, six when six, she moved six. to Canberra. And her older sister was with her, but her older brother was by then would have been 11 or 12, Kenneth, and he was left to board. Yes, Yes, he was Kenneth, not Ken. Ken was her father. Uh, Kenneth was left to board at Melbourne Grammar. Oh, okay. Uh, Because there just wasn't a school there. Yeah, I imagine there probably wasn't a high school. Well, I don't remember. I don't know when. There was Tilopia High School, and then the, the Canberra Boys Grammar started fairly early. So the family had this separation, and my mother missed her, her wonderful fun-loving older brother greatly. Yeah. And I guess sort of Canberra was growing up as Alison was as well. Oh, very Very much much so. So so because Alison's family were quite prominent in Canberra, Mm. she does get quite a few mentions in the paper, particularly in... Because, of course, in those days, they did used to report on a lot of social events. Absolutely. We now sort of replace that with um, social media and things like that. Celebrities. Yeah. Well, well, in the newspapers, yeah, but I think people seek the same sort of information from social media now, I think. I'm sure that's true. So this article is from Thursday, the 28th of March, 1929. Alison would have been... Eight. Farewell evening. And if you recognise any of the names of these people, just let me know. Children's party. Quite an interesting evening. <laughs> Quite an interesting evening. <laughs> By Canberra standards. <laughs> when you're desperate. <laughs> Was given by Mr and Mrs A.C. Terrell at their home, Monte Vista, which is kind of funny that you're giving yes. your home a, a posh Monte name. Vista. Yeah, there wasn't much Monte. <laughs> no, there wasn't <laughs> much Vista. <laughs> We could see the paddocks. Yes. Um, Monte Vista Forest last night in honour of Master Noel Gamble, a student of Mr Harry Scriven, who is leaving Canberra very shortly. So Alison went to quite a few events at the Terrell's house. It felt like they were always getting, getting the kids around. Okay, so the article continues. There are about 20 little guests and many of them contributed joyable items to the evening's entertainment. The guest of honour was presented with a souvenir of Canberra. Gosh, they got onto that early. <laughs> so, yeah, I, know, I don't know what it was, like a snow globe, a sheep. In it yes, exactly. And a delicious supper was provided by Mrs Terrell. Among those present were Mrs Barbara Bonniewell, Edna Parton, Corinne Carter, Nancy Sheehan, Sheila Jean and Joyce Elvins, Frida Whitlam, Alva Terrell, Marjorie Hicks, Joan and Alison Binns. So that is um, Alison and her sister. Yes. 
Now, the guest list goes on, but the name that I'm interested in is at the very end, and it's uh, G. Whitlam. G. Whitlam is actually Gough Whitlam because he spent some of his childhood in Canberra. He did indeed. But yes. I had no idea that Alice knew Gough Whitlam until yes, I found this article. Yes, in fact, we met, David and I met Gough Whitlam many years ago. He came to Adelaide to give a talk. He was well into his, probably his 80s then, an incredibly long talk about Australian, Australia's <laughs> incredibly <laughs> disgraceful human rights record with oh, not not being the signatory to all sorts of uh, international conventions. Well. And uh, he spoke, I think, without notes for about an hour. Oh my uh, it was at one of the Mark Oliphant memorial lectures. And afterwards, I went up and introduced myself and he slotted in immediately. Oh, yes, Alison Binns. And oh, yes, yes. He and remember, so he remembered oh, yeah, them too. Well, absolutely. I mean, they, they, everyone's around at the Terrells every, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every week. I think Goff was a, had pre, a prodigious intellect and also a f- fantastic memory. My mother mentioned Frida more often because Frida yeah. went to the Canberra Girls Grammar School. was just a, a, perhaps a year younger than mum. Mm. Certainly she remembers Frida. And Frida appeared also in the news over many years because she went on to have quite an illustrious career as an educator. Yes. And, but mum uh, uh, really was very enthusiastic about Goff because oh, yes. was my mother was a very enthusiastic member of the Labor Party. Yes. And she followed, uh, she followed Goff's career. Oh, it would have been with, so exciting with great interest. That, yes. that election. Yes, that's right. Mm. So um, Milton yep. couldn't vote. No, Milton was... couldn't vote, no. and I couldn't vote then. Oh, because you—I were... hadn't changed my citizenship oh. yet. Oh, gosh. oh yes, that was much later. Oh right. Did Ellison and Milton talk about politics? Or... Oh, a lot. So yes, a lot. my mother had a real intellectual partner in my mm. father, Milton. Even though they obviously didn't see eye to eye on quite a few things, but they did. Would they... Milton have voted for Goff? Do you reckon? Interesting. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. How long have you got? <laughs> I'll have to take I that mean, one on he, notice. I don't. I, I think he might have done because he would have recognised the deadliness of the others and how washed up. They he might were. have got more but, of a chance of a republic with. Well, Goff. that's right. Absolutely, you know, Penny. That's up, a good point. Standing, up, standing on your own two feet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Boy, as Milton would yes. have said. But then at the same time, you know, ultimately it's the Labor Party and he might have really struggled. Yes, I don't know. (laughs) So did she ever tell you anything about what Goff was like as a boy? No, because, you see, the the boys went to the boys' grammar Mm. school. And And he would have been old. Was he older? Uh, yeah, he was older. Yeah. He was he was Joan's age. I think he was born the same year as Joan, 1916. Mm. So that's a five-year difference. Mm-hmm. That's so, a lot when you're yeah, a kid. A when you're a kid. <laughs> There's another article because it wasn't just parties at the Terrells. The Terrells were also very musical. They were mm. often hosting musical evenings. And so this one is from the Canberra Times on the 5th of August, 1929. And it says, children entertain... A musical evening, which, in addition to enabling parents and friends to hear them and judge their talent, gives an opportunity for children to acquire poise and self-confidence for the time when they may be called upon to appear on the public platform, was given by the pupils of Mr Harry Scriven in the lecture room, Albert Hall, on Saturday night. So, look, I know it's 100 years later, but just from reading this article, I feel like we can judge these kids' talent as well. (laughs) (laughs) There is a bit of a description about it. Little Elva Terrell, a flaxen-haired mite of about three and a half years. Oh, my goodness. Apparently does not need any training in that direction. For in response to her insistent request, she was allowed to take her seat on the piano stool. (laughs) 
And there, with total lack of self-consciousness, common among children of five years, played her piece, Dickory Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Really banged it out by the sound of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, this writer thought she was annoying. (laughs) Yes, I think so. (laughs) There were about 100 present, and Mr and Mrs Terrell, the latter in lemon georgette with burgundy lame coat, received the guests. (laughs) This is not the first time on... In those days, where we've had the little bit of information about who was wearing what, yeah, just always the women. Always, <laughs> yes. Let's face it; it's always, always the women. Usually colourful. Yeah, absolutely. Large bowls of gum tips mingled with Iceland poppies were very much admired. <gasps> mm-hmm. oh, I've got a new florist idea there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what Iceland poppies are. Oh, are they yes. just poppies? The conventional poppies. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Iris Taylor was called upon to give the first item, Mountain Melody. And though there were many stumbles, <laughs> she displayed a nice touch. A nice touch. And I just think By it's finishing. great. Like, just because you're under 10 does not oh. mean that the Canberra Times is going to go easy on you. No, I think that the music reviewer here, I think, is, you know, limbering up. For <laughs> I feel like that generally In the absence of... <laughs> I might just not have had uh, enough of the Canberra Symphony Orchestra yet mm. to <laughs> report on. Yeah, Goodness. I don't think that. <laughs> Later, she and her sister delighted their audience with songs Two Dolls and Baggy Breeches and, <laughs> and recitations. This is all very timely, I feel, because all of us in this room are going to see a concert tonight of the... Of the of our granddaughter. Bra- yeah, the yes. Wookiee Brass Band. Yes. So I'm going to send I've... a letter to the age. <laughs> <laughs> do you Telling think, do everyone think... what I think. Well, I'll say to yeah, Nina, Nina, you there. had a nice touch there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Penny, are you trying to? Are you going to tell me that my mother was at this concert? Oh, yeah, we're getting oh, there. Yep. Okay. No, this but, is well, the there next paragraph. there people there. I mean, oh, yes. how to get through them all. <laughs> Mac Hall played. We get, this is very important stuff. Mac Hall played Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) (laughs) Ian McDonald, Jolly Farmer. Betty Dean's Bluebell. Harry Terrell and Alison Binns played their pieces, sing a song and sleep baby sleep from memory. Go, Alison. I have never heard my mother mention ever sitting or touching any musical instrument then (laughs) or ever again. I I know. It's extraordinary. Like I was racking my brain before this thinking. I I just assumed. Alison, because Alison was very creative. She Mm, was was artistic. She was into art Mm. and craft Mm. and literature and had a a really broad range of interests. But But did you ever ask her, Alison, would you like to sit down and play Sleep Baby Sleep from memory? (laughs) (laughs) That is astonishing. There you go. (laughs) And so... There's more people listed. What did Goff play? Goff played Melody. I see. He would have been a bit old. So, yeah. And all received an encore. Right. (laughs) From their absolutely unbiased parents. I don't know if we're going to ask for an encore tonight. (laughs) 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 Sure. Goodness. Well, Um, maybe my mother never mentioned the Terrells because it was a terrifying memory. (laughs) 
During the evening, Mr. William Nash entertained with conjuring tricks to the delight of the children and also with songs containing humorous references to Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, those jokes would have been quite fresh oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> Canberra jokes started early. <laughs> at the conclusion of the program, Mr. C.S. Daly expressed his appreciation of the evening's entertainment and congratulated Mr. Scriven. He thought bringing pupils out, be they ever so young, was... <laughs> was an excellent idea and related humorously how, at the age of 17, when he made his first public appearance, the music collapsed from the piano. Should have played from memory like yes, Alison. <laughs> That's what I reckon. So the next article is a bit of a different one. Mm. This is actually from the Argus on the twenty fifth. As in the Melbourne paper. Yeah, Melbourne paper. Ah, yeah, yeah. On the twenty fifth of February, nineteen thirty, fall into boiling water. Canberra Monday. Alison Binns, aged eight years, daughter of Mr. K. Binns, librarian at the Commonwealth Parliamentary Library, Canberra, was severely scalded when she fell into a bath of boiling water at a home in Forest, Canberra, this afternoon. So. It's interesting that was reported in the in Argus. They must have still had quite a few connections, yes, wanting maybe yes. wanting people in Melbourne to mm. know. Did you hear about that accident? Oh, Mum mentioned it, yes. But given now, having been a parent and a grandparent, what the magnitude of that would have been, mm. Mm. you know, the severity and the shock and the, to the parents and the lack of specialist medical care there, and they're not going to have a burns unit at the Canberra Hospital in 1930. No. Um, I'm amazed, you know, how my mother's mentions of it passed over. I think she was admitted. I mean, she was obviously admitted to hospital, I think, for a few days. But, you know, she never dwelt on it. She was never, uh, in her own recollections, you know, she didn't bring it up repeatedly. And, you know, she wasn't worried about our children being in two hot baths or falling in. I mean, you know, she didn't become anxious about Mm. the next generation. She was obviously unblemished because my mother had magnificent skin. Yes. And there, I would. I don't think there was ever any, you know, any sign of it. You would never have known. You would never have said to Mum, "What's that scar yes, there on your right. breast or anything?" And I don't know what the circumstances were. Why the bath was so high? I guess you probably boiled water to run a bath in those days, unless it was um, for washing or something. Yes, I don't know. But oh, yeah, yes. maybe they put the hot water in first and had yes, it. Yeah, I and think yes. so. Yeah. But I mean, she wasn't a little child. I mean, she was big. So how she fell in? I do remember my mother. My mother mentioning no, it. I don't and, even yeah. remember. Granny ever ever mentioning it. No, so when no, Penny no. found that, but she it was didn't. Quite, you know, the things shocking. she dwelled on in the past were. Well, she didn't dwell in the past at all. No, but, she didn't. But, but I mean, she she didn't. You know, there are some people who avoid talking about the past, mm. and and my mother had a very healthy. Looking back, and I mean, you know, the things would trigger memories of Canberra, and of course, Joan, her sister, lived there her whole life. You know, my mother would reminisce with Joan. Uh, she continued to see Joan throughout her life. She continued to go and visit her there, and we did, and so on. So Canberra remained very much part of part of all our family. Yeah. But Mum didn't, uh, and she didn't, you know. Not the boiling water. No, not the boiling <laughs> water. So that is fascinating that it appeared in the Melbourne paper. Yeah. 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 So the ne- but the next article is about a theatre production that Alison was in. So this is from her school days, and it's from second of December 1935, so she's a bit older now. Dickens Evening. A lot. Mm. Girls Grammar School Entertainment. 
On Friday evening, casts drawn from the sub-intermediate classes at the Canberra Church of England <laughs> Girls Grammar School offered a large audience at the Central Methodist Hall a varied program of dramatic presentations of scenes from Nicholas Nickleby, David Copperfield and Pickwick Papers. Did she keep being interested in drama? No, not, not in any personal <laughs> personal acting sense. Because mm. it was another article I found where she was in another production when she was I don't remember those older. mentioned at all. Yeah. She used to tell us tales about the terrible teaching at Canberra Grammar School. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Absolutely appalling. And she and her best friend, Joy Waterman, who mum met on the first day of school when they were six in Canberra, and they, to their delight, they, they not only were established they were the same age, but they were born a day apart. Hmm. And they remained friends from the age of six till my mother's death at 92. That's amazing. Uh, across all those years. Anyway, my mother mostly used to tell us about how she and Joy were so repressed by the school and the tyrannical teaching. I remember my mother was not gifted at numbers and she was she was sitting in the class and the teacher said well she said Alison Binns will come up to the board and show us how to do that knowing that Alison couldn't horrible yes but she and Joy used to get up to mischief and I think they were they were known to really cut up and it was a (laughs) it was just a way of coping I think and so I'm not surprised that maybe they took part in the the plays because that would have been a source of of fun and entertainment but no my mum never went on to participate in anything that I was aware of in Canberra like amateur repertory but when she and my father went to New York after the war in their very early year of their married life when my mother joined my father in the states they went to a great deal of theatre Mm. Yeah, oh, and musicals and plays. They relished what Broadway and the... like taking us as kids. Yes. See things. Yep. You know. That's very yeah. true. And she would go, in later years, she became a subscriber to the South Australian Theatre Company and went to a lot of plays. But it wasn't... It was not you didn't an get abiding... And, she you was know. wishing that she was up on the No, no, no. Well... Read a bit about this theatre program. The final item of the program presented a large cast in the famous trial scene from Pickwick Papers. An outstanding feature of this presentation was the well selected cast, which reflected much credit on the producer's judgment. The careful dressing of the various characters greatly enhanced the atmosphere of the scene. Joyce Waterman, ah, there we go. Alison's best friend, mm-hmm. sustained the aggressive character of Sergeant Buzzfuzz <laughs> <laughs> with complete command of the emotional range of the part. Oh. <laughs> Barking. Um, and I won't read oh. the descriptions of everyone because no. there are quite a few, but I'll get to Alison. Alison Binns made a convincing figure as Winkle. Now, I'm not familiar with this. I haven't read the book. Um, I have not read the book. So I don't know. I haven't either. I don't know who Winkle was, but she was a convincing Winkle. (laughs) (laughs) The whole production reflected the greatest credit on Mrs Bush, who produced the scenes and personally dramatised the final presentation. The hysteronic abilities 
of the actors was abundantly rewarded by the appreciation of the audience, which found expression in hearty and sustained applause. Oh, my goodness, the wordiness of it all. I oh. know. Oh. God, they <laughs> used to use a lot of words. And this is, this is not so bad. When you go back into the 1880s, oh, my see. goodness. And someone typeset it all letter mm. by letter, Good. you know, and mm. printed it mm. up every day. I, I yeah. just, oh, full on. <laughs> And, of course, once again, it's completely unbiased parents enjoying <laughs> this hearty and sustained applause. Well, I am learning a lot. Anyway, it was lovely that Joy Waterman was mentioned. Oh, you can yes. imagine how much fun they would have yes. had doing a play together. Uh, one of the escapades that my mother remembers was when they um, tied their plimsolls, their tennis shoes, together and they hid them. I don't know why. They put them in the – lifted the lid and put them in the piano. Oh. And uh, – <laughs> And obviously then someone came along to play the piano and couldn't, couldn't work out why it wasn't sounding right. <laughs> they got into trouble, of course. It's Getting like into rebellious it. streak. Oh, there. yes, oh, that's absolutely. Interesting. But as I say, it was a coping mechanism because mm. I think it was all grim. <laughs> so the next article I've got is from when Alison has left school. Where is she now? She this was in 1941, reported in the Melbourne Herald. And the article is titled, Primrose Nurses Meet Tonight. Plans for the efforts during the coming year will be discussed at the opening meeting for 1941 of the Primrose Nurses Auxiliary of the Tweddle Baby Hospital at the hospital tonight. The auxiliary desires to obtain more equipment and nurses' comforts. A new secretary is to be elected. The retiring honorary secretary is Nurse Alison Binns. All Primrose nurses are asked to attend. So that's definitely Alison. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. So she, she moved to Melbourne. She, well, well, I guess she... Went, she became a nurse when she left school. No, she never became a nurse formally. Oh, okay. She, all I know about Tweddle, again, is um, pretty negative. Um, <laughs> My mo- my mother certainly and Joan were both very affected as able young women by the start of World War Two, yes. and so unlike their brother, who Ken, who went on to Sydney University and Melbourne University, and you know, very solid academic and professional career, Mum and Joan were deprived of that opportunity mm-hmm. largely by the war. Mm. But my mother came to to Melbourne to Tweddle Hospital to do what was called mothercraft nursing. So mothercraft, I don't know, I have no idea how long the course was, but I know that my mother talked about Tweddle as a, almost like a penitentiary in the sense that the regimen was so strict. There was obviously a mode of New Zealand type of, um, I can't remember what it was called, a New Zealand type of nursing for babies. And I think this had all started, Tweddle Hospital had started some decades before to improve infant nutrition, particularly, Mm. and reduce infant mortality. Plunkett? Plunkett. Oh, that's it. When you drive around New Zealand, every little town has this thing and it says... Plunkett rooms. I see. And when you're a tourist oh. in New Zealand, after you've gone through four small towns and everyone's got a plunket, <laughs> <room, laughs> you think, what's a plunket? I need to learn how to play plunket. <laughs> play plunket, yeah. Might, Absolutely. How might one plunket in you've that room? You've hit the nail on the head. <clears throat> and I believe the plunket rooms are the maternal child health yes. centres. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know, I don't remember much about what my mother said about Tweddle, except that it was very 
I mean, you know, you were, it was more like a convent. You went in there and, you know, you were being trained and you lived in. Mm. And I think, you know, they had one day free. And I don't think it was just education. Mm. I think it was a hospital. And so it was, it was you know, hands-on training. In so this. it was sick <coughs> babies going in there. I imagine so, yeah. yes. And I remember my mother, this is still in the mode of the Joy Waterman and getting up to mischief, my mother saying that they used to get over the wall at night to go out and meet the boys. (laughs) (laughs) And they climb over the wall to go out and meet the boys or the men, as they would have been by then. But I particularly remember she had, so she finished that and then was hired as a mother craft nurse, but by families in Melbourne and also in rural near Canberra and on grazing properties and things to look after newborn babies. Ah. So to come into the home when the baby was born and help relieve the mother. And did uh, she enjoy that work? No, it was mostly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. It was very formative for her because um, I think she was treated mostly very badly. Yeah. Because she was just, like, like you know, a maid. Yeah. A maid. And, uh, you know, these were more affluent people, of course, who mm. could afford to have a, a mother craft nurse come in. And and I think she did have a few, I think, I, I can't come up with the details, but I remember she did say that, that they were a very nice family and she enjoyed that. Uh, and after a couple of months, you know, when the mother had got back on her feet mm. and, you know, the baby had settled down into, she would move on to another place. But there were some, t- some really awful experiences. Uh, where she was very badly treated and uh, and it, it helped form her deeply, I guess, probably socialist, mm. just, just humanitarian views of how poorly many people are treated yeah. by people who have power and affluence and, you know, are, are employing you. How many people who are able to employ people treat them poorly. Yes. And, you know, she was very, very aware of that. And the other thing I haven't mentioned is that by this time, of course... The, or everyone had lived through the depression, of course, and yeah. that formed a very had a very powerful effect on her. They were in Canberra in this magnificent home, which is still there, right across at the top of Melbourne Avenue, across from the girls' grammar school. It's a beautiful home. It's still there. Oh. It was for sale not many years ago. There were certain the limited number of homes in Canberra, but my mother can remember men coming to the door during the depression years and knocking on the door and asking if the the family had any work. And my grandfather, Ken, would always try to find something for them to do rather than just give them money so that they had a sense of of worth. And he had a big fruit orchard out the back and it was a big block. And uh, and he also was very, Ken was very, very talented cabinet maker. And so he had a workshop and he would find something for, for the men to do. But my mother also remembers women coming with children to the door and asking for food and clothes. Then this business with Tweddle and, you know, the power power situation. So I think what happened was that that didn't last long, one, because it was very unrewarding, but also because I think because so many men went to war in World War II, they needed women to go into the public service. So she and her sister Joan became admin you know, okay. took clerical jobs in Canberra in the public service and they lived at home with the family for all the war in years in Canberra. Yes. So when you had kids, did Alison give you advice from her mm. time as a... No, no, I don't remember particularly, no. Yeah, that's interesting because mm. one thing I can remember when Lincoln and I had our first baby... Yes. I can remember you yes. telling me that you might have said something about yes. what we, some way that we were doing something and she said, oh, every generation does it differently. <laughs> 
Quite so. <laughs> and she was just completely <laughs> uninterested in, oh, yeah. this is the right way, this is the wrong way. No, She's, no, no. no. The main thing that I think she would have taken, which we'll all be glad to hear from Tweddle, is its focus on normal human nutrition, i.e. breastfeeding, which is fabulous. Mm. Because, and there was a time when that kind of went out of fashion. Yes, and, but also because she had me as her first of two children in the United States and breastfeeding was, oh my goodness. So, you know, it yeah. was just, you, you didn't even mention it. And so, yes. she, so she breastfed. She breastfed, because, yes. Oh, that's but, very interesting. Uh, yes, but I don't think I could have ever breastfed my son Lincoln, who's now sitting next to me, is a very <laughs> physically healthy, robust person uh, who was born so premature and I had five or six weeks of expressing, laboriously expressing breast milk, a very, very small amount. It was extremely arduous and my mother supported me magnificently because she said to me, darling, it is worth it and you will be, there's nothing better that you can give to, to Lincoln. Aww. That's actually really – I've never heard that. That's lovely. And, you know, <laughs> it, will, it will all be worth it. And it was, but she was there beside me keeping me, you know, company while I sat and did this five or six times a day yeah. sort of thing. And, uh, but there was never any, any – and, you know, you've summed it up perfectly. Every generation does things differently. Yeah. And, and, you know, she knew that some of the things that she'd – the rigidity with which she'd been taught things, yeah. she probably hadn't applied to her own children. Yet. Yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes advances. Yes, and exactly. it's all going, kind of goes in a cycle. And I think for her it was just, well, I'm just going to enjoy the babies. Exactly. <laughs> it's not. Very much so. Well, I've, I've right. seen yeah. the cycle go all the way round. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't need to have an opinion about this. I'm just no, going to have that's fun. That's right. <laughs> Very much so. So the next article that I have is also from 1941. It's an engagement notice from the Argus again. So mm. It's a Melbourne newspaper. Yes. Alison Gwyneth Binns, younger daughter of Mr. and Mrs. K. Binns, Canberra ACT, to leading aircraftman Geoffrey Wyndham Rose, RAAF eldest son of Mr and Mrs R. Rose of Boloco Delgetti. Do you know how they met? Yes. Jeff was one of two sons, I think, of the Rose family. They were on a rural station, a property up in the mountains. The boys went to Canberra Boys Grammar. Ah, and did they have social events with the girls? Yes. yes. Mum met Jeff, I think, when she was probably in her early to mid-teens and they became a unit very early on. He may have even got to see her as Winkle. <laughs> Who knows? He could have been there that night. Um, but I've got I've got a photo of him oh. from the paper. Yes, that's right. That. We have that we have that photo at home. He's quite yes, handsome. we are handsome man. Yes, very blonde, handsome fellow. Of course, you know the next article is quite sad. From the Canberra Times, 26th of January 1943, Roll of Honour, Rose Pilot Officer Jeffrey Wyndham. RAEF, January 8th, 1943. As a result of air operations against the enemy in the Middle East, aged 22 years. Eldest son of Mr and Mrs R. Rose, Boloco Delgetti, and brother of Bert and Tom, and beloved fiancé of Alison Binns, mm. Canberra. Yeah. So that was obviously just a tragic thing Well, he was Well, he was in an air skirmish uh, in North Africa and shot down and died there, yeah. was killed there, and I think the, the dreaded telegram came to the front door. It came to Alison. At, in Canberra, that's right, yeah, because she was living at home. Yeah. That was 
that was the end of that. Devastation. Yeah. Absolute devastation. Yeah, mum was 22. When he died, yeah. Yes, when he died and they'd, they'd been sweethearts real childhood high school sweethearts for, for years and were obviously engaged. I don't know when mum last saw him. I mean, you know, what the interval was between when he was killed and when she'd last seen him. But, you know, it was great tragedy. I mean, she, you know, was obviously anticipating, I think, going to live up there on the... Yeah, up in the snowy mountains. and That would have been a very different life. Yeah, Unbelievably different, yes. And David and I have talked about the incredible contrast that that life would have been for my mother compared to what's the life she had with Milton. Yeah. And I know that she's told Teresa very explicitly in recent years how, you know, even though life with Milton was was difficult, that he was a very, very good husband. He provided very well for us. He was an interesting, intellectually rewarding person. Yes. And he provided very well for his family and was a good father. And she said we had a very rich meaning the two of them, very rich life together and we went to interesting places and did interesting things. And I suspect that would none of, almost none of that would have happened if you were up on a grazing property in the Snowy Mountains. And the nice thing was she kept in touch with his brother Ben over decades. There was hmm. one other article that hmm. um, gave a bit more detail about how he died yes. because a fellow airman who was flying officer Edward Sly who I think sounds a little bit like a character in a book. Mm. But he gave an interview about how Geoffrey died. Um, And this is from the Canberra Times, Monday 15th of March 1943. Pilot officer Geoffrey Rose of Cooma, New South Wales, was killed near Bureret El Husun just before the launching of the final Tripoli advance. Mm. Rose had fought a running battle with eight Messerschmitt Mm. 109s. Goodness. He had put up a marvellous show and had he been able to lead the battle a little closer to our ACAC positions, would have seen the tables turned. Mm. Goodness. It was a show in a thousand, Sly said today. Mm. So it sounds like he was very skilled and very brave. Mm. Out, sounds mm. like he was outnumbered 8 Absolutely. to 1 or 8 to 2 by... And know. he nearly, yeah. No, I didn't know any of that, Penny. That's mm. very interesting. Mm. Thanks. Did Alison talk much about Geoffrey... When you were growing up? Well, I guess I, I can't remember when, but at some stage we became aware that, you know, she. I, I think she had a ring. Yes, that's right. It's just coming back to me that in her jewel box, her jewellery box, which was a very interesting jewellery box when we were growing up because my father, Milton, then bought her a number of very lovely jewels when they were in India together because, oh. of course, jewels, stones were very cheap. And anyway... Um, but in the jewellery box, there was the engagement ring that I think she'd had because when, I, you know, when as a child you picked us up and you said, you know, when did you get this mum or something? And you said, oh, that was my engagement ring with Jeff. And, you know, then you say, well, what happened to him? And so it goes. So, you know, the fact that he was at the boys' grammar and they used to go to dances. There was Tilopia Park High School, which was the public high school, and then there was the Canberra Boys' Grammar and Canberra Girls' Grammar. And as I said, my mother lived right across the street from the girls' grammar and went there throughout her schooling, except for the first few years before it opened. And then lots of boys came from the country to the grammar school. And my grandparents would also have been very aware because Kenneth was a boarder in Melbourne and they would have been aware of boarders needing a place to come and you know, a home, mm. how, how di- what a difference it made. And so I'm sure Jeff came to the family home and, you know, enjoyed the cakes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
There was an awful lot of baking, Penny, in those (laughs) early days in Canberra. I know my grandmother, Amy, my mother said Amy became very tired of this social round in early Canberra with the endless afternoon teas. Oh, really? Oh, you could go to one just about every afternoon of the week. The tea trolley would come out. And, you know, two or three cakes and various bits and pieces and lovely trios of the cup, saucer and plates. And, you know, a little of it went a long way. And, of course, you know, you needed a social life, but equally it was very, very wearisome. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Your social life, but maybe not seven afternoons. Yeah, no, that's week. right, yeah. yes. Well, I can remember Gran telling me at one point, when I was probably only a teenager, that she and Jeff had been together since... Pretty early in high school. Oh, I, I think, think so. Was, you yes. know, I think she was quite precocious and sexually. On that front. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think just, so. Yeah, they, oh, they, really? Yes. Oh, yes. Sweethearts going back to you know, thirteen or fourteen, something like that. Yes. Yes, and, I think that um, was true, Lincoln. Yes. Yeah, and she was always quite tuned in on such things. So I can remember walking along a suburban street in Adelaide near her house when I was at you know probably the, the most <laughs> sensitive age imaginable, like thirteen or twelve or something happy enough to be going out for a walk with my grandmother, but then, you know, sort of faintly embarrassed already. And then two schoolgirls of about my age in their uniforms, I remember I was off school for the day, coming down foot path towards me, and I remember thinking, oh, gosh, this is a bit embarrassing to be <laughs> out with my grandmother or something. And, and anyway, anyway, they, they passed on by, and I resumed a conversation with Alison, and then a few more metres down the road, she said, now those two were checking you out. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Oh, how gorgeous. And, I mean, I'm not sure how likely that was, but at the time I thought there was exactly zero probability of that. And I was, don't be ridiculous. And she was just like, well, fine. But they were. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, she's very yeah, pretty, observant. Pretty yes. <laughs> There's another article from the Canberra Times from the 11th of December, 1943. It says, in memory of the late flying officer, Geoffrey Rose, his fiancée, Miss Alison Binns, has donated £100 to be devoted to the establishment of a section of the library, specifically for books on aviation. The nucleus of the section will be donated by Miss Binns and the income from the investment of the money each year will increase the section. This is obviously... An extremely appropriate idea, particularly given her Ooh. family background. Yes, and, yes, the intersection of Jeff and the aviation. It's, it's very nice. The book plates will be designed by Adrian Faint. Ooh. Was there any connection to Adrian Faint? Because he was quite a well-known artist. At he was indeed. That he point. was one of the prominent Australian artists of the first half of the. 20th century. And he did book plates for lots of famous people. He did a lot of book plates. Dorothy McKellar, Ethel Turner, the Duke and Duchess of York. (laughs) A lot of book plates. David and I have seen an exhibit at Carrick Hill in Adelaide quite some years ago now, but we still have the catalogue of an exhibit of Adrian Fane's paintings, of which I think the Haywards, who originally of Carrick Hill, owned a number, but also they had a very extensive collection of book plates. I love his book plates. I saw some of them online. They're we'll beautiful. have to, we'll show you the one when you come next of, because we still have the original book plate that Adrian Faint did. Oh, and you do have Yes, and we, we should... Because I couldn't find it online. We should donate it to Carrick Hill to go with their book plate collection because it would add to their collection in a way that it's just an anomaly in our house. And it's interesting, I don't know how my mother or my um, the family got, in, got together with Adrian Faint. I don't know. It to, could have just been good taste. Well, the National Library in May have known where to find a book plate. But. 
Oh, yeah. But one of the interesting things is that we have in our family, and it's still on the walls because it's very special, we have a painting by Adrian Faint that presumably my mother and then her new husband, Milton, commissioned that Adrian Faint do of the hotel. It's a scene of Cronulla in Sydney of the hotel where they spent their honeymoon. Oh, that's nice. Yes. And And you have that? Yes. And um, so... uh, Have I seen that? You would have. I would but, have. When I see it again, you'll, I'll you'll see it again because it <laughs> it's it's now here in our apartment here. Yeah, and I'd love to see the book plate as well. Yes, well, we is can. Is it aviation themed? Or, yeah, oh, that sounds yeah. cool. We have a number of pieces of some pieces of memorabilia of Jeff, including the book plate, which surfaced after Mum's death when I was going through so many of the old pictures and things mm. and uh, documents. I really would like, even though it's so long, I still would like to offer some of them to the Rose family. And I think Alison kept up her connection with the Canberra Grammar School. Well, only intermittently. But yeah, uh, in 1995, yes. they reported in their annual journal that she was um, re-establishing the Geoffrey Rose Memorial Court. Mm, I do remember that, but I don't know what triggered it. Because I, I don't remember Mum getting a newsletter regularly from Canberra Boys Grammar or anything. But anyway, I do remember her saying that, you know, maybe the school sought her out, asked if she would like to, to maybe donate. Maybe she. I remember her telling me that she was donating money again to refresh the aviation section. Yeah, because <laughs> you can imagine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, There's um, been some developments. Yes. <laughs> so that was nice. There's a big change now. We're going far ahead in the future, well, five years later. Mm-hmm. And it's from the Canberra Times, 16th of September, 1948. And it's a birth notice. Sanchez, Alison Bins at Daly City, San Francisco, on September 13th, to Alison, wife of Milton E. Sanchez, a daughter. Lynette. <laughs> Good. Now, I've arrived. International yes. birth notice. A international birth notice. True. Yeah, it's true. But my goodness, a lot has happened for Alison oh, yes. in the intervening Very six much years. So. She's in San Francisco. She's yes. married. She's yes. got a daughter. <laughs> so how did and all an of American that, husband. An yes. American husband. Yes. How did all of... When did she meet Milton? She met Milton in 1944. She and her sister Joan were on the train from Canberra to Sydney and going to spend some time there. And Milton was in the carriage. And he was on active duty. This was obviously still very much in the war years. And he was on active duty on a ship because he was in the Transportation Corps of the U.S. Army. He had weekend leave and Milton was always deeply, deeply interested in geography and world places, but particularly trains, yes, but also capital cities and southernmost southernmost ports, uh, most important ports and southernmost tip of the, cu- the country and all those sorts of things. Anyway, he was very eager, obviously, to see this new national capital, Canberra. And uh, so he took the opportunity to take the train oh, from Canberra. that's why he was going. From Sydney to Canberra. He must have spent, you know, a night or two in Canberra and then was on the return to Sydney. And my mother and Joan were in the carriage. And I believe that my mother did one of her famously loud sneezes, must uh, <laughs> have rocked the carriage, and that broke the ice, and then they started to chat. Uh, my father had obviously 
seen her as a very attractive person and the carriage was just itching to... <laughs> it's not a very long train trip from no. to Sydney. Must well, have that's enough time to get fast. married. <laughs> some, some hours. Yes. So I saw something the other day, a question, and it said, what question would you ask your mother if you had the chance? That's a good question. Mm. Mm. And... Uh, this was very tantalising to me. I knew you had invited me to this. And so it was particularly germane. With all the profound things I could ask her, the one thing that I would ask her would be, did you really get off the train, Mum, in Sydney and tell the man who'd come to meet you to go away? <laughs> <laughs> in other words, did you give that guy on the platform the flick and go off with Milton? <laughs> because that's that's that the, the story. story. That was the story. That's right. Now, I've never heard uh, who the man was mm. who was waiting to meet Mum. Not your dad. That's no, it was not. He was in the <laughs> carriage. But she did say in relatively recent years that I got rid of the fellow who was there and Milton and I spent the weekend together. We were engaged at the end of the weekend. And Joan must have gone off and stayed with the relatives. <coughs> Poor Joan. <laughs> and so then when they, they got married in Australia... They did, very shortly after. And do you know, Penny, one of the most fascinating things, and this would be the, the corollary question to my mother, is why in all the thousands of photos that we have of the families on all sides, the American and the English side and Scots and all the rest, going back, as I said, into, into the late decades of the 1900s, why is there not one photo of your wedding? Oh, my goodness. Mm, not one. But I know that it was obviously deeply still in the war. I think the only people at the wedding were her parents, Ken and Amy. I'm not sure Kenneth was there. Uh, certainly Joan was, but so it was not an event. It was a, a wedding. and But my grandparents were very disapproving. I was going to say, how did they take to Milton? Oh, I didn't, well, didn't know that they <coughs> disapproved. Well, you know, it was basically Milton was an American. If I, I'll preface that by saying Amy and Ken had been to the United States for Ken's Ken had effectively a sabbatical in the States in the 30s. They'd had a wonderful time there. So, you know, there was no reason for them to be anti-American. But, of course, there was this very strong sentiment that you'll be aware of that these cashed-up American men... <laughs> Overpaid, oversexed and over here. I think that was the term at the time. And, but it was also the hurry in which it happened. Right. I think they were married only five or six weeks maybe after... They right. Met. And what about personally with Milton? Do they find him e easy to get along with? Or? <laughs> well, of course, they didn't. They saw very little of him. Yeah. He came one night famously to dinner. I don't know whether this was just before the wedding because, you see, he had to go back to his ship yeah. and then he had to ask for, and I think then the ship went from Sydney to Brisbane, and he had to ask, or he did ask, for special leave to go back to Canberra to marry my mother. He was granted that. So it was obviously the timing of all this was incredibly, incredibly tight. Mm. Although it did obviously manage to have some days honeymoon in Cronulla, hence the painting sort of thing. But my father came to dinner in the Canberra house, my grandparents' house, and he stood up and started to sing to them a song from the musical, the American musical at the time, of The I Sing. 
And Milton yes. singing. I don't think I ever heard Milton sing. No. Once. Yes. I need to stop doing a shocked face and say something. <laughs> it's not going to come across in the podcast. Oh, my goodness. And That's How did that go down? That well, is not... I don't think it did. No. <laughs> no. I think Mum said that Milton was just, you know, it was sort of a degree of extroversion that they found hard to cope with. And, you know, I think it was probably all very wow. tense. And then they, when did they move back after the war? So my mother was married, obviously. She, my father went back onto active duty. The war ended and he was then in India when the war ended. And so my mother, some months later, after the end of the war, so in 1945, got on a ship with some other Australian brides, wives, and travelled on this ship to India to join their husbands. So my mother, extraordinarily, my mother's first experience of anywhere outside the country of Australia was India, mm. right. which must have been extraordinary. They were in a hotel in Calcutta or something. They were there for something like six weeks. And my father had nothing to do. It was all just, as the phrase goes in the army, hurry up and wait. You know, yeah. they were basically just waiting to be transported to the United States. So my mother said it was really an idyllic time because she and Milton were staying in a fairly lavish hotel. Wow. And, uh, you know, and basically um, they were newlyweds and so they had an extended lovely honeymoon and really got to know each other. <laughs> and my mother said it was a very, very happy time. I think latterly I've read, because there was an interview with her that I only found a few months ago when we were clearing out some books in our house move, Anyway, she said that she and the other Australian women on the ship were really nastily treated by the Americans. Oh. Because, you know, they were actually, people actually said to them, you took our guy. Mm -hmm. The opposite end. And so anyway, she got to, she got a very warm welcome in the United States because my father was one of five children. He had four sisters. and oh, uh, so and they were welcoming? Very welcoming. They could hardly wait to meet their sister-in-law. And my, my paternal grandmother, my American grandmother, was very, very welcoming of, of Alison. So oh, they were nice. all around the New York area. There was a very lavish party, a very lavish party at Marie's house, Milton's mother, to welcome yeah, oh, going into the New York Society party coming from wartime Canberra. Yeah. Must have been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, I think the only thing that my mother found oh, a bit disconcerting right. was that with these four sisters, and of course America had not experienced anything like the privations in terms of fabrics or, yeah, or yeah. nylon stockings, you know, yeah. or any shoes well, and all that sort of thing. That's how they get the girls, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring in the stockings, that's right. <laughs> and so I think there was this, oh, you know, Alison, you need to, you know, we'll take you here and you can buy this and we'll do have your hair done and everything. And it is rather disconcerting to look at my mother in those photos at the lavish party because they are memorably wonderful photos because her hair has been permed and she's got the latest New York look, which wasn't her really at all. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and but she did say that she resisted quite a lot of it and very sweetly my father said to her, I like you just as you are. There's no need to change, but, you well, know, you, you go along to, with a certain amount of it sort of thing. But then they decided that they needed, they didn't want to live near all the family and they moved completely across the country to California, which is where I was born. 
here in San yes, Francisco. Yes, they bought a little house in Daly City. Daly City was a new, a huge, vast new suburb with rows and rows and rows of houses. So they chose to go there. It wasn't an army... Oh, no, no, no. This was a, this was private community mm. and they bought... I mean, my father was out of the army by then. Right. Oh, yes, by So what then. was he doing then? He was working for a company. Uh, I think I can barely say it, an oil company. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> no, no. But anyway, yes. So he went back into the army for the Korean War. Yeah, yeah, for the oh, real Korean that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So the final article yes. that I've got is from six years later. It's also in the Canberra Times. It's the 17th of December, 1954. An American war bride. Oh, gosh. An American war bride. Isn't that just an awful way to summarise someone? She's not an American war bride. She was an Australian war bride. That would have upset her. Well, yeah. An Ooh. American war bride returned to Canberra this week to visit her family after an absence of nine years. Ooh. So that was really the first time that she'd oh, come yes, back. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, because yeah. like it, it's such a big deal travelling. Yeah. But, yeah. but still nine years. Nine years. She is Mrs E.M. Sanchez, formerly Miss Alison Binns of Forrest. Married to a captain in the American Army, Mrs Sanchez has been living in Frankfurt in the US zone of Germany for the last two years. Mr and Mrs K Bins went to Sydney to meet the Oceanic and were thrilled to see their granddaughters... Granddaughters? Lynette, six, and Leland, three. Now, Leland <laughs> is a boy, so that's wrong. <laughs> Poor Leland, yes. <laughs> for the first time. Mrs Sanchez plans to spend several months in Australia. Yes. Do you remember that trip? Oh, I remember a little bit about the trip. It was a wonderful Italian passenger ship. It was called the Oceania and it left from Naples. So we travelled together. So my father, of course, couldn't get leave. Oh, so he was not there. So he farewelled us in Naples. Mm. And the main thing I remember about the trip was that there was a children's dining room on the ship. Fun. And my mother would bring Leland and me down to the dining room for our meals. And the meals, even at the age of six, were... I was very impressed by the quality of the, of the, uh, of the Italian cooking. Particularly, they served those alcohol-laced cakes. <laughs> I'm not sure I liked them, but they were very different in makes. Oh, yeah, no, yes, I remember yes, going yes. to have them, uh, yes. you know, one generation later yes, with that's you right. in Italy where you'd see all um, the cakes piled up and then you'd try one and they'd all be soused in something. Yes. And, of course, now the prospect is absolutely delicious, but at age eight or whatever, it was just like, can't eat that one, can't eat that one. <laughs> it was pretty horrible. I don't remember anything else about the trip, um, but I vividly remember our time in Canberra. It was summer. We arrived in, I think, December. I have a napkin ring. We have napkin rings that date the date of our arrival, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess were made for us by the by the grandparents for the for the occasion. They would have been so excited. Oh, unbelievable! Oh, yes. It was hot. It was summer and they were still in that lovely house in the, at the top of Melbourne Avenue with a big backyard, a huge gum tree with a swing hanging down off it. And I used to pump up very, very high and worry my grandmother intensely by how high I used to swing. It's a good swinging gene from both sides of our children. <laughs> and I also used to put my younger brother Leland on the swing with me and that got them particularly worried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Leland didn't probably look too comfortable with some of that. But anyway, we had a wonderful time. Joan, we used to go into Joan's bedroom. I used to 
push her eyes open <laughs> oh, early in the morning. And she did forgive you, it She did, shove the books at her yep. to be read to. My grandparents had, probably back in the 40s, built a beach cottage, wooden house, down at the beautiful Eden in the south coast of New South Wales. We went down there uh, and my uncle Kenneth from, joined us from Hobart, he and his wife Nan, and he was great fun, wonderful, wonderful man, great fun, no children unfortunately. We had a glorious time down at Eden and my grandfather had a, a little wooden boat and we would go out and fish and we would fish from the wharf and it was just idyllic. So your first mm. impressions of Australia would have been very positive. Mm. Oh, going from very, very. Post-war Frankfurt yeah. to the yeah. big backyard yes, and going down yeah. to Eden would yeah. have been a, quite the upgrade. Yeah. It said you planned to spend several months in Australia. Mm. And how long were you here for? I think we were here for a couple of months. Okay. And yes. then you went back to Frankfurt. Yes, we were here long enough that my uncle Kenneth was horrified. My mother used that word, that I couldn't read yet. Oh, and so six, but yes, yeah. and you, you, see, don't, you don't start you don't start school in the United States system till you're six. Yeah, and you know he said this child she can't read. You know she wants to be able to read. So he somehow they arranged for me to literally go across the street in my grandmother's footsteps and go to Canberra Grammar. Oh, for a few, I don't think it could oh, have been God, more than a few holidays. weeks or, a, a, or a Attenuated maybe. Attenuated by early enrolment at Canberra. Well, no, I don't. Oh. So it, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was three months or something. But anyway, I went there for a short time and learned to read. Oh, wow. So you, then you all moved back to Canberra when you were 18. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. My father retired from the U.S. Army. For the second time. It, and, and, of course, it, in between, I had had a year back in Canberra. Oh, okay. At high school, when my par- my mother came out to spend time with her family, um, and I went to Narrabunda High School for a whole year. Oh, okay. And I, I didn't ab- know that. absolutely loved it. The most liberating thing was that I think I would have been about 14 or 15. It was the year that President Kennedy was killed. So 1962, so I was 14. The most liberating thing was that there was a school uniform. Because I had been at junior high school in the United States in in Virginia and the clothes competition uh, was ferocious and the the nuancing of where you'd bought your shoes and what brand they were and, you know, the label in your sweater and things. And I remember the girls – this was big high school – uh, 2000, and I remember the girls rushing in into the toilet stalls in the morning to exchange clothes. Oh, wow. And so that they looked as if they had, you know, bigger clothes and something that someone else could lend them went better with their, you know, this or that. And my mother had a sewing machine she'd bought in the in Germany, uh, saved up for, and was a good sewer, and she began to make me some clothes. But of course, you know, although they were nice and I wore them, they were not the same as, you know. And, uh, oh, it was it was terrible. So wearing this drab grey dress at Narrabunda, I can still see it. <laughs> and I used to iron the pleats into it every night so that it looked nice. And I was just peeing mud. It was so liberating. I think I think that is one of the strongest arguments for school mm. uniforms, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. I think so, too. Now, we had a very happy year mm. that year. My brother went to school, of course, at Red Hill Primary, and um, we saw a lot of our, my grandparents, and we went to Tasmania. And So when you yes. were 18, you were quite happy to move back? Oh, yes, yeah. very happy. So my mother's lovely jewel box, which I can see it now, was a carved, wasn't very big, it was a carved box from India, and she had, you know, 
a f- it wasn't a vast amount of jewellery, but the, the stones were very, very pretty mm. and, um, and mostly by then set in, in rings. It was stolen. Oh. We were standing when we left Europe to come in 1966. So my father had retired from the army. We had finished in Munich where I finished school. We, were, we had sailed then from Bremerhaven or wherever it was to, the, to New York and then we were going to cross the United States and take a ship to Australia mm. for our permanent residency here. So I was 18 and coming up for 18 and we were standing obviously on the deck of the ship surrounded mm. by suitcases and I think my mother had the jewellery box in a hat box, oh, no. you know, a patent leather hat box, even though she, I don't know, she didn't really wear hats, but anyway, it was just, it was a container. And I suspect that someone just yeah. came up when we weren't. And what a boon, though, thinking you were getting a hat and then you <laughs> And yes, absolutely. Boy, what they got. Yeah, what a winner. Them. And uh, I remember then we were staying with Aunt Madeline, Auntie Madeline, who was a wonderful person. And I was in the room with my mother. And I remember my mother saying to me, Lynn, are you awake? Or Lynn? And I said, what's the matter, Mum? And she said... I can't, I can't think where the hat box is. Mm. And I said, the hat box? And she said, yes, you know, the black patterned one or whatever it was. She said, do you know, have you seen it? And then anyway, and then I said, what was in it? And she said, my jewellery box. And mm. So I thought, oh, my God. And anyway, she got up. And, of course, this was an apartment that mm. Madeline lived and she went around the apartment and I think Madeline must have heard her and she'd said, is that you, Lau? To my mother and mum said yes and she said is there a problem and so and then I remember her telling Madeline and they got up and looked around and it was great credit to my mother I mean she was obviously she kept it in proportion that's amazing yes you know even though it was obviously it had a lot of meaning to mm. her the things in it yeah. you know the engagement ring from Jeff yes. and the lovely beautiful opal and things that my father had bought her oh, in the India the engagement and, ring from Jeff oh my yes. goodness and anyway yeah. but you know and she almost never mentioned it in you know, successive years didn't you lose all your jewellery at one point as well or a lot of your jewellery got stolen we had a theft we had two house thefts and uh, my first engagement ring was taken and a little tiny ring, which of course meant more, little tiny ring, gold, with three little pearls on it, which I think was Amy's engagement ring or something like that. It went back a long way. And, you know, the diamond was replaceable, but Amy's little ring wasn't. So, yeah. And the scarab David had bought me when Lincoln was born from Philip Adams, who had been a... Um, scarabs. He yeah. had been an antiquarian... <laughs> dealer in some way at wow. some stage a beautiful little black scarab it wasn't so small it was about the size of you know my fingernail and it had a little hieroglyph on the back and of a man and you know the scarab is the symbol of the dung beetle in eternity so when Lincoln was born you know he was continuing oh the, that's you know, beautiful and that was on a lovely gold chain it was very plain I mean you no one th- taking jewelry would have known what the dung beetle the scarab was they yeah. probably threw it out and took it for the right, took yeah. it for the gold chain sort of thing, and so that was you know it's those things that you know mm. that are sad. Anyway, my mother just she had a great great values, 
She was a so very strong person. She was, but I mean, you know, the jewelry box, okay, you know, it's gone. And um, yeah. had Canberra changed a lot? Yeah, yeah, a great deal. Every yes. time you came back, it would have been different. Yes, yes. I mean, Canberra was a, a sophisticated, small but sophisticated city when I came back and started university. We we moved back in September 1966, so I was due to start university the following year, but I had four or five months to fill in, and so I took a job at David Jones. Right there in the middle of the city in Civic. And uh, I was lucky enough to work in the China and Glassware Department. And uh, (laughs) because it had interesting things to sell, very varied things. And people came in from the diplomatic corps... Uh, because, of course, there was a lot of entertaining. All sorts of women and men came in, and but children would come in to buy an egg cup for their, you know, for their grandmothers for birthdays, and it was a great place to work. <laughs> and then the next year, the next summer, when they had university recruits or, you know, students come back for the summer for the Christmas rush, they tried to put me in handbags and gloves. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> oh handbags. Oh, I pleaded with them to uh, to not be there, and I think I was there two days, and fortunately they, they she moved was no me good. over. No, they she moved kept me telling over. people, you don't need a new bag. <laughs> That's right. A bit of targeted mediocrity in the handbags. It's still... <laughs> so Canberra has remained a fi- part of our lives for, for many years because... My uh, aunt and my mother developed a were philanthropic supporters of the National Library in honour of my grandfather. Then after my mother died, after Alison died, David and I continued that. So, and yeah, libraries are a very big thing in your family. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and it remains a beautiful and an interesting city. Uh, we were last there in 2019 to celebrate, I think it was the 70th anniversary of the Canberra Uniting Church, which my grandparents were very instrumental in helping to establish, Amy and Ken. And um, it has a very large, the Canberra Uniting Church now has a very large Tongan constituent. Been growing for years and years and years. And they're wonderful singers. Mm. And so this was a vibrant celebration. All afterwards, there was a Tongan feast. Oh, wow. And did Alison, do you think she missed Canberra when she moved to Adelaide? Um, No, I don't think so. Because my, Leland and his family were in Sydney, yes, and we were in Adelaide, yeah. and I think she was she just felt she was with neither of us, mm. yeah. And they decided to move to Adelaide, not surprisingly, because Sydney, as an alternative, was so ridiculously expensive to get into the real estate. You know, I think Joan was Joan missed my mother, yeah, but uh, I think my mother was very glad to be somewhere bigger, also new, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and she'd moved throughout her life she as had. well. I mean, she I had. guess she was yes. used to, like, different phases of her life. It's a very places. good point, Penny. She moved a great deal. Yes. Yeah, and it's yeah. about being with people, isn't it? Yeah, it's and not. she was very adaptable. Mm. And she was a good neighbour and she made friends well, even though she um, was not social. She liked people, she liked going to things, but she, you know, she liked her own time and she was a great reader and so you can't, you can't be a great reader and be, <laughs> you know, and also she liked doing painting and all sorts of things that she calligraphy she took up all sorts of things with with quite yeah. remarkable skill yeah it was the visual arts that yeah, she actually was quite talented in but we the articles that we found were about music and drama but I guess maybe you don't really write about that if she'd had the, her life again which I don't think she regretted much at all if anything uh, but she, I think she, She'd had the opportunity to do something as a young person and she was very interested in design 
and David and I were saying how she would say to David, this new teapot is absolutely hopeless. <laughs> Have you seen the way, you know, this or that? She, she would analyze things yeah. very well. In fact, I think you and I all remember that she actually did an adult education course in design, not to become a designer. Someone yeah. who was a, an industrial designer talked to them about different I, different items and things. Yeah, it was she, very she, unusual. She and she you know. really loved that. And she also liked textiles and she would have liked... She was interested in new things. Yes. And change. She and, was. And so she wouldn't have minded... Well, that would have helped her a lot in her life. Changing, then. yes. <laughs> yeah. So a change like moving yep. to Adelaide is something she would have yes. you know, seen as being much less of a move than her previous ones mm. and also just mm. new and ex- a, new and, a new and exciting phase. But I remember in the 1990s she was determined to get a computer. Went out and bought her a computer and I taught her how to do things in, in Word and so she, on. She wanted to design newsletters. Yeah, she did newsletter design really for newsletter. a church and all this. Yeah. Sort of oh, I didn't know yeah, she yes. did that. Oh, yeah. And at least at the start, you know, initially was... I guess Microsoft Word had a few fewer features then, but you could still bash out a multi-column newsletter and do all mm. that sort of stuff. And she learned how to do all that stuff. Yeah, she'd and have a podcast. She would have had a podcast. I think so. <laughs> I think so. She would have been. Thank she would have been on it. Thank you so much for coming in, Lynette. This is such a good talk. And there's the the thing that I'm excited about, and I might. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make a list of of things that I personally want to look up in <laughs> <laughs> But I know you'll have a lot more as well. So well, thank you, Penny. It's been a great pleasure, and I think your questions were wonderful. Oh, thank you. And been so relaxed and so nice to do it sitting next to our son. Well, likewise, nice. Yes. <laughs> a huge amount of fun. Yeah.